under this roof have been happening throughout human history. And I think they're very relevant to us today, aren't they? And um, as Adrian said at the beginning, Hoşgeldin is Hoşbulduk. Um, so that's Turkish, and um, maybe many of you know, but we lived in Turkey for um, 11 years until a couple of years ago. And in the church that we started and helped lead there, we often had lots of people that had no real knowledge of the Bible. So when we were preaching, we would always try and talk from the very beginning, from Genesis to Revelation at the very end. And so that's what I'm going to try and do today, and they've given me about 25 minutes for that, so <laughs> we'd, better get, we'd better get started. So we want to see how this story fits in the whole big picture of the Bible. And so if we start, in the beginning, God created an amazing beautiful world. And um, he, he, he made every one of us, and he gave an instruction manual, and he said, if you want to live in this world and do the best, then this is how you need to live. And we know that humanity decided not to follow that, and so we damaged the environment, we damaged relationships with each other, we've damaged relationships with God, and that's why the world is in the state that it is today. And God was sad at this destruction, and so thousands of years ago, he chose one old couple, Abraham and Sarah, for whom it was physically impossible to have children, and said, through your children, the whole world is going to be blessed. They are going to be people that follow this instruction book, and they are going to be a blessing to the whole world. And he said, it's not because you deserve it. It's not because you or your, your children are going to be any, um, any better than anyone else. It's because I want to show what a renewed people, a people following me, is really going to look like. And the family was called Israel. And in the Bible, names are often quite important, the meanings of the names. And Israel means wrestles with God. So even from the very beginning, you can probably tell how the story is going to go. And... Sometimes they were following God and it was going well. Sometimes they weren't following God and it wasn't going so well. And I guess it's kind of similar to us. You know, sometimes we try and do something good. We set our hearts on it and then it just doesn't work out for whatever reason. We start well, but, but we have the best intentions. And so the story today with Hezekiah, who is a king of Israel and lived about two and a half thousand years ago, after a succession of bad kings and leaders and Israel going really the wrong way from what God was wanting and suffering as a consequence, finally there was a good king, Hezekiah. And you might remember from a few weeks ago, we had the good kings, yay, and the bad kings, boo, didn't we? <laughs> and Hezekiah means God strengthens. That's what the name means, God strengthens. So they've got a good king, they're following God's instruction manual again, it's all going well. They're on the right track at last. And then suddenly, the biggest empire in the world invades them. And it's a shame, isn't it? Often, it's like that for us. We try and do something good. We think we're on the right track. And then all of a sudden, something unexpected happens and just pushes us off. And, um, you know, I've, I've got many friends who... Um, uh, who have tried to give up smoking, for example, and, you know, they can, they can do that for a few months or years, and then suddenly there's a stressful situation at work, or someone gets ill, or something like that, and straight away it's, it's back to those old bad habits that they were trying so hard to give up. And maybe in our spiritual lives as well, it can sometimes be like that. So, um, 
as, as, as I mentioned, we lived in, we lived in Turkey. We, we were there for 11 years. We were doing um, God's work. We were helping in a church. We were preaching and teaching. And then after 11 years of living there and um, living our whole lives there and making friends and speaking Turkish and everything, the government said, you're terrorists, you can never come back again. So these, these themes and these things, they still happen to all of us to different extents, don't they? And I think this is the great thing about the Bible. It's not a good book about philosophy. It really deals with the real world and what actually happens. It's not, you know, if you do good, good will happen. It's even if you try and do good, sometimes bad things are going to happen and people are going to come against you, like in the story today. So what should our response be? What happened in the story? So the Assyrians and um, King Sennacherib, who's the king of the Assyrians, they're invading. They're the biggest army in the world. They're the most strong, the most technically advanced. They, they know that Israel is a tiny country, hasn't really got any fighters, and they can't be bothered to tire themselves out, to be honest. Everyone knows they're just going to win, and they'd rather save themselves the bother of having to crush this little country. So the king, Sennacherib, sends a taunt to Israel, and we can read this, we looked at this last week in 2 Kings 18, he said, we'll give you loads of weapons if you can find anyone who knows how to use them. <laughs> he said, don't trust your allies. They're weak. They're not going to come and help you. And then finally, he says, and I'm reading from the Bible, he says, do not listen to Hezekiah when he misleads you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations ever delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Me. Who among the gods of the lands have delivered their lands out of my hand so that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand? So basically, he's taunting Israel. He's taunting King Hezekiah. And he's saying, your army's rubbish, your allies are rubbish, and your god's rubbish. Just give up and submit to me. And last week, Dave was sharing a bit about the story of Hezekiah's response to this situation. And Hezekiah, he didn't, he didn't panic. He didn't give in. He turned to God. He prayed to God. He clothed himself in mourning. And he humbled himself, and he prayed to God. And he asked a prophet, someone who hears from God, to see what God had to say about the situation that he was faced with. And God said to Hezekiah, the king, he said, do not be afraid because of the words that you have heard with which the servants of the king of Assyria have reviled me. Look, I will put a spirit in him so that he shall hear a rumor and return to his own land, and I will make him fall by the sword in his own land. And then, all of a sudden, the king of Assyria hears he's being attacked somewhere else and has to withdraw his army and go and fight there. God has come and intervened miraculously and saved them. So it seems like the situation has all ended happily ever after. But then, Sennacherib messages King Hezekiah. He sends a letter and he says, basically along the lines of, you think your God has saved you, but it was just chance. Someone else attacked me. I'll be back. And then there will be no salvation for you. Just like all the other countries that I've conquered. And he lists 10 different countries and kings that he's gone and destroyed. 
So how does Hezekiah react to that? And today, we're going to look at this bit of the story. So King Hezekiah, he takes this letter that's been written, and it was probably a stone tablet or something, because that's what they were doing in those days. He takes it and he puts it in the temple of God. And then he prays this prayer to God. So this is um, 2 Kings 19. He says, Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see. Listen, look. Hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste to their land, to the nations and their lands. They've cast their gods into the fire, for they were not gods but the work of man's hands, wood and stone. Therefore they were destroyed. So now, O Lord our God, save us, please, from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O Lord, are God alone. So he's saying, look, God, remember in the beginning, you said you wanted us to follow your book, it would go well for us, and we would be a blessing and an example to the world. And now this guy's trying to destroy us. Come and help us, God. Come and save us, he's saying. And then God answers him. Praise God, we serve a living God. He's it's just as two and a half thousand years ago, just as today we've seen, he's still speaking to us when we pray. And he answers through Isaiah. And I'm actually going to read, this, this, this story is basically identical in two different parts of the Bible. So I'm going to read just from the Isaiah section here, which is Isaiah 37. And Isaiah answers this. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. Because you have prayed to me concerning Sennacherib, king of Assyria, this is the word that the Lord has spoken concerning him. Because you have prayed, this is the word the Lord has spoken. Isn't it? There's two, there's two so important things here. And on Wednesday night, Dave was sharing about prayer. Um, and he just said, prayer is simply talking and listening to God. And it's like that here, isn't it? He talks to God, he listens to God. When we pray, we speak with the king of the world and we listen to him. If we don't pray, how's God going to answer? If we don't listen, how are we going to hear what he wants to say. God says, because you have prayed, this is the word that the Lord has spoken. And that changes everything, doesn't it? And God says to Sennacherib, um, and he's using uh, poetic pictures here, which are going to be quite foreign to us, so I'm going to explain them in a little bit. But he says, who have you mocked and reviled? Against whom have you raised your voice and lifted your eyes to the heights against the Holy One of Israel? By your servants, you have mocked the Lord. You've said, with my many chariots, with my weapons, I've gone up to the heights of the mountains, to the far recesses of Lebanon, cut down its tallest cedars. Now, the tallest trees in the world, they were, they're a picture of the kings. He's saying, I've gone, I've destroyed all of the biggest kings. I've cut down the tallest cedars, its choicest cypresses, to come to his remotest heights, to its most fruitful forest. I dug wells and drank waters to dry up with the sole of my foot all the streams of Egypt. He's saying the, the most fertile place in the world, the biggest river in the world, I put my foot on it and it dried up. I said, I'm going to make this desert into a, into a luscious land, and I dug a well, and it was like that. I, I saw the biggest kings, I said, I'm going, to, I'm going to have them, and I destroyed them. He's saying, I did this, I did this, I did this. And God then responds to his pride and complacency. And he says, have you not heard 
that I, God, determined this long ago. I know you're sitting down, you're going out, you're coming in, and you're raging against me. God says, I know you. I made you. It's not you that's doing these things. I knew before you were even born you were going to do this. And then he continues. He says, because you have raged against me and your complacency has come to my ears, I will put a hook in your nose, my bit in your mouth like with a horse, and I will turn you back on the way by which you came. And this is actually what the Assyrians did when they conquered a country. They'd take everyone as slaves and they'd put a hook in their nose and they'd lead them along. And they've got like little artworks and things that show this. So God's saying, Sennacherib, just as you have done to all the nations in the world, I am going to do that to you. I'm going to punish you like that because you were boasting and complacent and proud. And then... God promises to Israel. He says, this shall be a sign for you. This year you shall eat what grows of itself, and in the second year what springs from that. So he's saying, basically, um, for two years there's been a war on, the land is desolate, there's not going to be much food, but you guys are going to survive. And then he says, in the third year, sow and reap and plant vineyards and eat their fruit. For the surviving remnant of the house of Judah shall take root downward and bear fruit upward. So he's saying the third year, and I I learned this this week, I hadn't realized, but vineyards take a lot of time to start producing fruit. You have to put the walls, you have to make the, the strings that the vines grow on, you have to wait several years for them to come. So God's saying here, there will be so much peace and prosperity in the future for you you'll be able to invest long-term in the land. There's not going to be other armies coming, attacking you, destroying you. He's saying, I'm going to be looking out for you. And then he says, you'll take root downward, you'll bear fruit upward. You'll be what I wanted again. You'll be a blessing to the world. You'll be fruitful and safe and protected. And then it continues, Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, He shall not come into this city or shoot an arrow there or come before it with a shield, cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, the same way shall he return. He shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it. And the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. And when the people arose early in the morning, behold, there were all these dead bodies Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshipping in the house of Nishrok, his god, Adramelech and Sharezar, his sons, struck him down with the sword. And after they escaped into the land of Ararat, Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. You see in this story, he boasted against God and he was destroyed. As God promised, what he had done to the other kings his own sons did to him. And God defends and looks after those people who try to follow his plans. Maybe it doesn't mean it's going to all work out straight away, right in the moment. It means over the big picture, God is on our side and looking out for us and defending us. And I said we were going to do the whole Bible. As we continue on, we see that God is the God of human history. 
in the book of Daniel in chapters 2 and 7 and also at Revelation at the very end, we're invited through some prophetic pictures to basically take a big step back and see what is the big picture of history. What's the big picture of human history over hundreds of years, thousands of years? And they use these pictures. They say the nations, they come, they go. They're like wild animals that attack each other. And this is always going to be happening, God says. But in all three of these pictures, at the end of the story, God comes and makes everything right. He brings his everlasting kingdom of peace and justice. He brings true justice to the world as the good judge. And it's great. This was just what Liz and Corrine and various other people were sharing this morning, wasn't it, through those pictures, that one day there will be this peaceful world. Just as God wanted at the beginning, so it will be at the end forever and ever. There will be this good and perfect world that we will all live in together. And this has happened now through Jesus dying and rising again. This has started among us. And so no longer is the physical offspring of Abraham and Sarah the people who are bringing this blessing to the world. Now it is the spiritual offspring, everyone who follows the gods that they follow, the, the, the God Jesus, everyone who follows him is part of this family who's called to be a blessing to the world and follow living God. And Jesus on the cross, he did this by defeating the power of Satan, which is at the root of all of this evil in the world. So, King Hezekiah, when faced with enemies trying to attack, he prayed and he spoke to God and he listened to God. But King Hezekiah is also a foreshadowing of Jesus. King Hezekiah was a good king who tried to follow God. King Jesus was the greatest king. He was God's son who followed him. And he now, just like Hezekiah defended his people and prayed for his people, King Jesus defends us and protects us. It says in Hebrews 4, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. We do not have a high priest who is unable to emphasize with our weaknesses. He knows we try and do our best, and sometimes we fail. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's what we're doing today, isn't it? We come into his presence, we ask, we worship, we listen. And what does this heavenly throne room, it talks, that it says Jesus is, is there in front of God, in the throne room, interceding for us, praying for us, protecting us. And in Revelation 5, John tells us he sees a picture of this amazing heavenly temple throne room. And there's a brilliant little bit there in Revelation 5.8. He says he sees the people that are serving in this throne room. And he says they were all holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And in the New Testament, the saints are all of us, everyone who follows Jesus. So he's saying right now, today, and every day, Whenever we pray, it's like we are in God's 
throne room, and we're lighting incense to him. Our prayers are going to God. It's not like sometimes we pray and it doesn't get through. It's not like, some, you know, it, every prayer we pray goes before God and is a pleasing aroma to him. God doesn't want us to just sit here passively. Oh, yeah, God's got it under control. It's fine. I don't need to worry. He wants us. How does the Lord's Prayer start? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth. Doesn't it? We say, we say, God, come, bring in this reign of truth and justice and righteousness and peace. We pray for that. And we pray. Fortunately, in, in Kettering, we're not often under siege or, or physical wars. We pray for people in parts of the world that are. We pray for um, Russia, Ukraine. We pray for um, the, the situation there. We pray for Christians that are persecuted in different places. We pray for the pressures that we face as well as believers. We pray, we, we talk to God, we ask God, and we listen to God. And so, he wants us to come. He wants us to pray for others as well, that we would bless others, that, we would, that they would come to know this confidence and grace and forgiveness and love and honor and protection and security that we know as followers of Jesus. We, we trust in Jesus to save us every situation. We, we pray to him for our friends and families. So, what's this story from two and a half thousand years ago told us? What's the, what's the point of it? Jesus is Lord over the whole of history. He was two and a half thousand years ago. He will be two and a half thousand years in the future. We, he is the king of kings. He's in charge of all of the leaders in the world. He was then he still is now, and he will be forever. But in the New Testament, we also find out this God is personal. He knows each and every one of us. He knows our hearts. He speaks to us. He wants a personal relationship with us. He knows our life stories, our wants, our wishes, our struggles. And we come in prayer to ask him. We listen to him. We thank him. We proclaim that he is our King. And there's a great opportunity just after the service to do this, I think, isn't there, Adrian? Do you want to come and tell us about it? <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me just pray and thank God for us. So, Jesus, thank you. You are Lord of history. Thank you that you protect us and defend us. Thank you that you know our hearts and that you know when we're trying to follow you. And I pray, for, I pray for the world. God, let your kingdom come. Let your peace reign. We pray for the, the wars of the world. We pray particularly for the situation in Ukraine. Lord, let your peace and justice come there. Let your power stop that war and bring true peace to that place and all the other places in the world where there are wars. And we, we pray for Kettering. We pray for our families, for our friends. Jesus, protect them, bless them. May they come to know you through us. Thank you that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords. You are forever glorious, forever powerful, forever strong. Amen.